Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. C.S. Lewis in Last Battle, he said, Once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than the whole world. You know, the Christmas story no doubt has rung a thousand, maybe two thousand, maybe three thousand times in all of our hearts and our minds um, through all the different ways. You know, I think it was around September there was a relentless um, thing of Christmas carols in the shopping centre. You remember that, about that? By the end of September, they started rolling in and, and um, through the shopping um, centres. And I know, like with our school end of year stuff, there's Christmas carols that are happening there as well. The giving and receiving on Christmas cards. Anyone got Christmas cards? They're great. The giving and receiving of gifts. Who loves gifts? That's great. We all love gifts. The times where we get to feast together as family and friends. And, and you know what? At this time of the year, we even come and we even come and eat together as, as workmates. Who'd have thought? You know, we hang together as workmates, end of year celebrations. We sing together, we congregate together in churches all over the world. And all of these traditional acts of the season stir in our hearts and in our imaginations um, to once again be captured by the wonder, the mystery, and the awe that is Emmanuel, God, with us. Galatians 4 verse 4, we we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. It says, when the time was right, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. And this is kind of the sticking point of this Christmas season. Christmas is not about a baby. Christmas is about a coming. It's about the coming of God. And as humanity, from the very beginning, we were really caught off guard because no one expected that God Himself would come because that's kind of, no one thought of that. In fact, that's one of the great defences we have of the Bible. I mean, if someone were to come together and get a committee together and actually come up with the story, no one would, no human committee would actually come up with this story. It's one of our defences of, of the Christian faith because whoever heard of such a thing? Whoever heard of a chief writer writing himself into his own story? A creator stepping into his own creation? The master architect designing something so intricate, so specialised, so unexpected that he himself is drawn into the original design so that the hinge of history is on the door of a Bethlehem stable. Who'd ever thought of something? And we're baffled. We were baffled then, we're baffled now. And we get confused. And we doubt. But if it brings any consolation, um, we're not the first people to actually struggle with this concept of what the meaning of Christmas actually is. Um, I hope that brings a lot of consolation to you. It definitely does to me. And today I want to look at an unlikely doubter. An unlikely doubter. I look at the pages of the New Testament and I would have thought that this person, that this guy, that he wouldn't have had any confusion. He wouldn't have had any doubt. This is a guy who's known as the forerunner to Jesus. He's, he's Jesus' cousin. This is a guy called John who was a baptizer, John the Baptist. And I want to actually look at his life and actually talk about this confusion that so often happens in the life of Jesus. Because if John got confused, well, maybe there is good reason why we get confused, but maybe we can actually get some clarity out of that confusion. So we're going to kick off in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 6. Got a couple of scriptures today. They're going to be up on the screen. I'm reading from the New International Version for this one. John 1 from verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There we go. The Word was God. Jesus was God. Did you get that? Jesus is God. In case you get someone knocking on your door. All right. 
I had God come knock on my door with the kids. And I was talking about this sort of stuff. And I was like, I had to be honest. I said, you need to be careful. You're raising up these kids in this lie and this heresy. I've never seen them come back. <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. They knock on everyone else's door. They don't come to my door. Maybe there's a mark. Verse 2, he was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was light, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And you know what? Just um, like all of us who, who, who follow Jesus, we are all supposed to be a witness of this light. That was John. John was sent ahead of God as a forerunner to prepare the way so that he would be a witness of the light. And the whole purpose was he would be a witness of the light so many would believe. That's exactly the same for us. But the question I have is that how in the world do you bear witness of this light if the light confuses you, how can you do that? How can we do that? John the baptizer or John the Baptist as we know him, he is part of the story of Jesus from the very beginning. From the birth narratives, you find John the Baptist right there. His parents, um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, they had a miraculous pregnancy. Um, Elizabeth was unable to conceive. They were both old in age. And John is an especially anointed child, a specially anointed baby. While in Elizabeth's womb, um, John actually leapt at the sound of Mary's voice. We read that in the, in the scriptures. John was Jesus' cousin. When, when the time came for John to enter into his ministry, you would find him in the wilderness wearing strange clothes, you know, a camel's hide, and eating strange food like wild honey and locusts and preaching and baptizing. And, and he, he it said to us that he was the Elijah that the prophet spoke of. He was preparing the way for the king, for the Messiah. He was filled with the same spirit in the same way that Elijah was filled. If you ever know, read any stories of Elijah, you must be thinking, wow, John the Baptist, whoo, he must have been a spectacle, right? Because Elijah, he was something else. But same spirit on John the Baptist. He bore witness of Christ. Get this, Jesus said, born among women, there is no man greater than John the Baptist. Wow, crazy, crazy. This guy, man, he was something else, you know. He was bald to the point where he confronted Herod because this is what Herod did. Herod's like a, he's a bit freaky. Herod, Herod, Herod he's over there, looks at his brother, looks at his brother's wife and goes, mm, mm, mm. man, she looked good. She looked good. And instead of just staying there, he goes and intentionally woos his brother's wife and marries his brother's wife. John the Baptist gets his back up and says, man, you can't do that and... You know, if you know the story, I mean, that gets John in a little bit of trouble later on, doesn't it? But he spoke up against that, John the Baptist. He was bold in his preaching. We're even given an account letting us know how John the Baptist preached. I mean, if you ever wanted to hear one of John the Baptist's sermons, um, you can read it in Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. I mean, I'll, I'll read it out for you. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes! Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Could you imagine that? <laughs> Crazy. Prove by the way that you live you've repented of your sins and, and turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe. For we, have the, we are the descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. 
Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even the tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money and make false accusations and be content with your pay. Imagine if you came to New Spring and said, you brood of snakes, I know you rock up here. I mean, who warned you? Jesus coming. (laughs) But, But let me tell you, this is really significant because John's preaching lets us know something really important about his expectations. What he expected Messiah to be like. What he expected this baby in the manger to be like. And it's this expectation that causes John to get confused. Because he's sent ahead of time to bear witness to the light. But how are you going to bear witness to the light if the light is confusing you and you're confused because of your expectations? He kicks off this particular sermon. He says, You brood of snakes who warned you to flee God's coming wrath. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. He had these expectations of who Messiah was and what Messiah would do. And as time passes, as you read through the Gospels, it becomes pretty clear that for John, the forerunner, the witness bearer, he gets confused about this light that he is supposed to bear witness to. How do you bear witness of this light if the light confuses you? How do you bear witness? John is expecting, we can read it from his sermon there, he's expecting the wrath of God to come and the flames of God's fire to lick at the heels of his enemies and to consume them. And even from that point, he continues his quest. He confronts the government. He, he takes the brunt of the government or the empire. And then he looks over his shoulder and he sees what Jesus is up to. And he gets confused. There's a, a moment that actually really articulates this. It's found in Matthew chapter 11 from verse 2 to 6. So we'll read from this. So when John, who was in prison, he's in prison at this point. Get this. He heard about the deeds of the Messiah. So when John, who's in prison, hears about what Jesus is up to, John knows what he's been up to. Because of what John's been up to, he's landed up in prison. He looks over his shoulder and he's looking at the Messiah, the one he bore witness to, and he's saying, looking at the deeds that Jesus has done, he sent his disciples to ask him a question. And this is the question. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else. This guy was so sure. He's baptizing, he looks around, he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God, he comes away, takes sin of the world, he baptizes Jesus, heaven's open, Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. He sees all this, hears the voice of the Father from heaven and he could be, how much more sure could you possibly be? Fast forward, expectations of who Messiah is and what's going on because John would have been thinking, this is it, man. The Romans, they're over there, but not for long. I just saw him. I saw the Messiah. You guys are going down. And then he looks over his shoulder and he's like, wait a minute, Jesus, you're not supposed to be doing this. Even though I know you're the Messiah. I mean, there was a point in history. I saw the heavens open. I saw all this kind of stuff happen. I know, but I'm looking right now and... You're simply not meeting my expectations. 
So I'm asking the question, are you him? Or am I supposed to be looking for someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you heard, what you hear and see the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor, the blessed. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You know what John would have been thinking? Yeah, I know all this. I've seen all this. I've seen your deeds and all that. Yeah, that's all good and all that, but that's not what you're supposed to be doing, Jesus. I'm confused. Are you the one or do we look for another? And if you are the one, how do I bear witness to the light? He's in prison and he sees Jesus. I love what um, N.T. Wright writes uh, as far as what Jesus was up to. He says this, as far as Jesus was concerned, he was going around. He said, the kingdom of God, he was saying is like this and this and this. And with each this indicating another extraordinary thing. The healing of a crippled woman, the raising of a dead girl, the shameless party, the shameless party with the riffraff, the extraordinary catch of fish, and all accompanied by small glittering stories which broke open the existing models of what the kingdom might look like and created a fresh imagination into a world that his heroes were invited to come into if they dared. It's a world where a shamed father welcomes home his scapegrace son. It's a world where the Samaritan's the one who shows what neighbourly love looks like. It's a world where, 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 where the seeds of the final harvest will, will bear a great, trop, a great crop, but when only three quarters of them seem to have failed. It's a world where the farmer will come looking for fruit and find nothing. It's a world where the vineyard owner will send his son to get the fruit and the tenants will kill him. A world in which God will become king, but not in a way that everyone expected. You see, Jesus' willingness to suffer and to die stands in marked contrast to the widespread expectation of the coming Messiah who would slay his enemies. And this was John's expectation. His expectation is that Messiah would come and you would slay the Romans. You would not be slayed by the Romans. How are you going to bear witness of that light? All of Israel, they wished for Messiah to come and to pursue violence, military goals, whereas Jesus came instead to usher in a merciful, forgiving rule of God. That even John the Baptist, the greatest of all the prophets, was surprised and taken off guard by the kind of Messiah Jesus turned out to be. And Jesus knew that John wouldn't be the only one who was confused. He knew that. He knew that. He replies and says, go back and report to John everything you see and you hear. The blind, they receive their sight. That's fantastic. The lame, they're walking. Those who leprosy, they're clean. The deaf, they're hearing. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. Verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. I know you're confused, but don't stumble. I know you're confused right now. How in the world are you going to bear witness to this light? The light confused you. I know you don't get it. You're a little bit confused. You've got some doubt in 2018. But Jesus is saying, don't stumble. Stay with me. Stay with me here. Stay with me here. Stay with me here. Imagine this Messiah born in a manger <laughs> to bring so much hope. At the same time, this Jesus has brought so much confusion, hasn't he? How do you bear witness of this light if the light confuses you? I mean, Jesus 
Would you please explain yourself? Because I've got to be honest, there are times, Jesus, you may have even said, Dave, I want you to lead a church. Okay, I'm going to lead a church. I'm going to be obedient. But Jesus, I've got to be honest. There are times you just confuse me. Would you please explain yourself? Earlier this year, if you've been um, part of the church family for, for this year, earlier this year, um, we did a series which went for a fair few months called Higher Love. And we spent a good portion of that series laboring on the launch pad verse of Jesus. Do you remember that? Anyone? Please, someone say. You do, yeah. so, a lot of work and effort goes into these messages, just so you know. <laughs> but there is, a, um, there, there is a moment in the Gospels where Jesus launches his ministry and his vocational understanding, his vocational identity is revealed. And at the very beginning of his ministry, he explains himself. He explains himself. It's found in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19. Pay attention as we're going to go through this next three to five minutes, because this is actually going to be the clincher for us. Jesus comes back to Nazareth, to the synagogue, comes back to his hometown. Read from verse 17. The, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Verse 20, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. All right. If you have your Bibles, you have a pen, I want you to underline, or if you've got a version app or whatever, I want you to underline the scripture you've just heard. Because that's important. Now, we as Western Christians, we don't kind of blink really at that. We just read it. Like we can use it as our daily reading. In the original hearers, what he just did seems a little bit odd. They get, it was a little bit odd. They understood that he was reading from Isaiah 61. And looking back on the gospel, you can sort of see, yeah, this is what Jesus was up to. If Jesus is saying the kingdom of God's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, well, that scripture over there, that seems to like, that, that marries, marries really well. But everyone hearing Jesus on that day knew something that we very often miss out as Western Christians. They realized that Jesus didn't read all of the scripture. Jesus says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled. Well, let's see what scripture hasn't been fulfilled. Isaiah 61 verse 1 to 2. This is where this um, comes from. And, and you'll see the similarities. Verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Yep, tick. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Yep. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Verse 2. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. What is with this expectation? Israel are expecting verse 2. 
John the Baptist is expecting verse 2 and Jesus is living out verse 1. Why did the authorities have a lot against Jesus? They would have been okay if he went to verse 2. He wouldn't have been crucified if he was just doing verse 2. But verse 1. And John's over there, he's confused because he knows I'm supposed to bear witness of this light. And my expectation is, yeah, I can see verse 1 over there, Messiah, but I'm looking to verse 2. You're supposed to be doing verse 2 right now. You ain't even touched verse 2. You haven't touched it. And this is really important for the framing of our faith, for our life, and consequently how we bear witness. This is what Israel knew. And this is what John the Baptist knew. They knew that Messiah would come. They never anticipated that he'd come twice. The first time he comes as a suffering servant, Isaiah. The second time he comes as conquering king. If you want to really get some fire under your faith, go read 2 Thessalonians and you will not be complacent Christian anymore. You will actually get on with the job. I'm dead set serious. They didn't anticipate that. They didn't expect it. I mean, who would have thought the Messiah would come twice? Who would have thought? And in between verse 1 and verse 2, we are now in this tension in between verse 1 and verse 2. Jesus, explain yourself because I'm a bit confused. Well, Jesus at the very beginning, he lets us know as much as it frustrated Israel at the time. He says, this scripture that you've heard, Isaiah 61 verse 1, has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he didn't go on to verse 2. Does that bring a bit of clarity? How do you bear witness of the light if you're confused? John may have been thinking, I'm wrong. But he wasn't completely wrong. He wasn't completely wrong at all. Baby born in a manger. First advent. Baby born in a manger. First coming of the Lord. First coming of God. Baby in a manger. Kingdom of God is like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's some, this is it. The kingdom of God is open. Grace is amazing. But the second time Jesus comes, he's not coming as a baby in a manger. And we live between verse 1 and verse 2. So whilst we're in this moment every single year called Advent, we slow down. We strip back, we prepare our hearts, and we remember the first coming of our Lord. We also bear witness, and we also wait for the second. We, we wait for the second. What does it mean to testify or bear witness of this light? It simply means this, to live in the light. John was not called to bear witness of the darkness Who's born to bear witness of the light? Let me be upfront with you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, as I am, there should be a distinction. 
between what people see in your life and what they see in the world. And if there isn't, we have a bit of a contradiction. See, John was actually right. He was actually right. But he was talking about verse 2. He says, by your life, prove your faith. Show me it by, by your life. Who warned you? Verse 2 is coming. Who, who warned you? But show me by your life. Now, we don't need to live in fear or anything like that. But what it does do is because if we understand verse 1, that we are brought into this amazing family, that our sins are forgiven, that we are right before God, that, that, that this is extraordinary, that we are not, not even no longer the people of God, we are now children of God. It makes absolute sense that I want to be living in the light. You know, I don't want to be living outside, you know. Like even our dog Oscar, you know, he loves our family. He's part of our family. Do you think he likes sleeping outside of the house at night? He refuses to. There was one time we forgot to bring him in, you know? One time, oh my goodness, the racket, the barking, the howling. Let me in, let me in, let me in. He refuses to live out in the darkness when he can actually live in the Ryder household. How ridiculous of us who've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are adopted sons and daughters, who have an inheritance. How ridiculous for us to live outside of the house when the doors open and the Lord says, come and live in the house. Come and live in the light. And if bearing witness of the light just simply means living in the light, duh, come on, come on. Now, this does not mean that we don't stumble and fall. We all do sin, you know, we all do fall. Hebrews says to, to let go of, of the sin and wait, sin and wait. So there's obviously two different things there. There are sins, but there's also wait. There are some things that may not necessarily be sin, but they weigh you down. You're all so stressed about it. You know, you took that promotion, all of a sudden you're stressed out of your mind. And maybe in one sense it's good for stretching, but maybe in another sense it's actually taking you away from the Lord. That's a weight. That's a weight. That's a weight. Now, I'm not talking about when we slip and we fall. I'm talking about intentionally living in a life that God says, don't live in that life. That's not bearing witness of light. And I reckon if we can understand, and, and it's almost like if, if we get this revelation, we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you need to give this to me. I need a greater revelation of your grace. I need a greater revelation of your kindness. I need a greater revelation of your love. If we can get a greater revelation, then we will automatically, we will live in the light of Jesus Christ and we will bear witness of the light. And when people look at your life and my life, they will be able to say, aha, Sandy Stevens. Yeah, she's following Jesus. How do you know? She told you? No. Nah. There's a distinction. Anyway, that's how you do it. We just say you do it. We get confused, don't we? I get confused. I get confused because it seems that the, the time frame between Isaiah 61.1 and Isaiah 61.2, man, that time frame has been going over 2,000 years now. And I, I think of, wow, it's taking a long time. It's taking a long time. War and famines, it's far too long, Lord. Little kids, dear Lord, that's too long. Sickness and disease, abuse and injustice. On one side of the equation in my heart, I'm calling out, Maranatha, Lord, come. On one side, I'm saying, come and come quickly. But then on the other side, the other side of the coin, 
I look at a world and I see people who have not heard the good news, who have rebelled and reject Jesus Christ. And on the other end, I'm sort of saying, no, 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 not yet. I want you to come, but hold up. That's a tension for us, isn't it? On one side, Maranatha, come. Come, Lord. On the other side, yeah, hold up a bit. (laughs) I've still got friends. I've still got family. There are people in this world, and they still need to hear. They need the opportunity to turn. They need the opportunity to hear about your love and to respond. But that's where I'm at. I get confused because of time. I get confused because of time. We always get confused about time. That's kind of a global sense. We could take it down to an individual perspective. There's a hole, there's a void, there's an aching inside. And, and we know with the coming of the Lord, that is all going to be gone. It's like, Maranatha, come Lord. Because that aching, I need that gone. I need that gone. This illness, I need it gone. When will you come? When will you come? And just with John the Baptist, Jesus is very frustrating with the expectations we have and the time frames that we have. But we do know that he is good, don't we? We do know he's good. And as we wait, as we wait, we are to do as Jesus did. We are to be a witness of the light as Jesus did, as we wait. We are supposed to be saying to the world, to our family, to our friends, to our workmates, to to anywhere that we are, we're supposed to be saying the kingdom of God is like this, and it's like this, and it's like this, and it's like this. The kingdom of God is like this, the sick being healed. The kingdom of God is like this. You see those lepers over there? They were kicked out of community. You know? You know what Jesus did? He brought them back into community. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. This blind guy called son of Timaeus. We don't even know his first name. That's how insignificant. We call him Bartimaeus. Bar, son of Timaeus. Son of Timaeus. We don't even know his first name. That's how much we disregard him. He's sitting on the side of the road. This is the kingdom of God. Jesus walks past. He hears something out of the corner of his eye. And instead of being left on the outside, Jesus brings him onto the inside. This is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, Jesus going and, and hanging out with Levi, a tax collector, and, and he's over there ripping off his people. Jesus goes up to Levi and says, hey, how you doing? You want to come follow me? And the very next thing you see is that Jesus is invited and hosting an amazing party with a whole bunch of what they call sinners, undesirables, the underground of Israel. Could you imagine the underground of Perth coming to a party and people looking at us saying, what you doing? And we're saying, well, the kingdom of God is like this. How do you be a witness of the light if you're confused? The clarity is that we are in this moment between verse 1 and verse 2, where we ache and we call Maranatha, Lord, come. But our compassion says, not too fast, though. Not too fast. And while we're waiting, we are demonstrating with our life that the kingdom of God is this. And it's this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this, and it's this. Does that bring a bit of clarity? 
because you cannot bear witness of the light if the light confuses you. How about we pray?